Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us this day. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you make your will known. And it is your will that we would be a friend of Jesus. So we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive from you this day as a friend. That we might be formed by you and learn what it is to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. once asked a friend of mine to lay out a discipleship path for me. I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear. I like plans. I like maps and, and, and pathways and structures and, and order. And so this is what I wanted, a plan for discipleship. And he said that being a disciple of Jesus is about growing in your relationship with him such that you move from seeing him as a savior to Lord to friend. He argued, rightly, that we we often start, as we should, with Jesus as savior. We see our need for forgiveness and redemption, and moved by his grace, we call out in faith for Jesus to save us. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But if we were to stop growing from that point, it would often mean that we fall into the trap of just seeking divine fire insurance, having a faith that in no way influences how we live. And so we move from seeing our relationship with Jesus as exclusively one of salvation to one of being Savior and Lord. He saved me, therefore... I should follow him. I should listen to him. I should do what he asked me to do. Have a life that is is molded around his his teachings. Again, absolutely right. We should. We should be following Jesus as Savior and Lord. We spoke about this last week, didn't we? We're called to walk in the ways of Jesus. But Jesus didn't stop there in describing our relationship to him, and neither should we. Because if we stopped here, we could easily turn life into this drudgery where we just sort of slog along following a master who just heaps rules on us over and over again. That's not what Jesus does. And it's not what he wants. He is holy and he has standards, certainly. But he is not a tyrant. Rather, he is our friend. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. What's better than having a friend, right? Gosh, if COVID's taught us nothing, I think that might be it, right? And this was a word that in Jesus' time had a lot more meaning than it seems to now. It it wasn't just anyone that you've known or have sort of this this tepid to moderately positive association with. Now, this was a person that you could count on, that you would lean on, that you could call up and talk about everything or nothing. 
And it was great. It's a deep, personal, and intimate relationship. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, that's me. I'm your friend. Dear friends at St. Aidan's, do you know that if you believe in Jesus, he is your friend? Is that what you see when you look to him? Maybe we don't. Culturally, we tend to have a fairly low view of friendship. And so maybe my friend is right, and most people stop before they understand that Jesus is our friend and, 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 they, and we are his. But I hope that by the time we're done here today, we, we all have a better appreciation and understanding of what it means and why Jesus would spend his last moments telling these confused and scared men that their master, their savior, their Lord is their friend. What does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? Well, it means abiding. It means pruning. It means knowing. And it means joy. I worked really hard to find a word that ended with ing there just so they'd all match up. I wasn't that creative. I had to settle for joy. <laughs> There's a statement for you. We'll clip that one out for online. Settling for joy. Let's start with this idea of abiding or remaining with Jesus. If we are his friends, we will abide with him. I counted seven different times that Jesus uses the word abide in our passage. And so clearly we have a theme being developed here. And specifically, Jesus calls his friends to abide in him because he is the vine and we are the branches. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And there's his point right there for us. Jesus tells his friends to abide in him so that they can bear fruit. And when we speak about fruit here, we are talking about the things that bring glory to God. The thoughts and words and deeds that point ourselves and others back to the Father. As Jesus says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That is what fruit is in the Christian understanding. The thoughts, words, and deeds that bring glory to the Father as they bear witness to the Son. If you're going to be the friend of Jesus, he is telling us, it means doing his will in this world, following his commands, bearing fruit. But that fruit only comes from first being in relationship with Jesus. The branches will not produce fruit unless they are connected to and remain connected to the vine. And this is a gift 
friends. Because he tells this to a group of his friends, knowing how frequently they will fail at it. He tells this to a group of men who love him, who want to serve him, and who run for the hills as fast as their legs will take them when it gets tough. And yet he says to them, you are my friends, abide in me. Because the fruit comes from him, not from us. The word we use for that is grace. And not just the the grace of justification, but the grace of sanctification, the grace that each of us needs for our daily lives. We have this tendency to approach grace as this thing we need just in conversion, and then we're on our own. No, 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 no. We need grace for every single day, and Jesus tells us we find it in him. Even when we fail, we can come back to him because he cannot fail. He does a work in us to produce his fruit. I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, he says. That is the promise of Jesus. It's the very promise that brings out the teaching of Paul in Philippians 1. Right, where he writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you are his friend, if you love him and you believe in him, you will bear fruit because Jesus has chosen you and appointed you that you should bear fruit. There's countless examples of this that we could point to, right? I could fill out the next day with illustrations of people who have experienced the life-changing fruit of Jesus Christ in their life. There's famous ones, of course. Right? Slave trader turned priest and abolitionist, John Newton. Right? Pretty famous guy whose influence on people like Hannah Moore and William Wilberforce led to the end of the British slave trade. An incredible missionary work throughout the world. Amazing story. All by the grace of Jesus Christ. And these famous stories are great, but guess what? There's so many of them that we will never hear about because they're not happening to famous people. Folks that will never have books written about them. But who through the grace of Jesus Christ and the fruit that he produces in their lives have been changed. I think of a family that I know that firmly believed, they were utterly convinced that if you were poor, it was God punishing you. And so you deserved it. While over time, they were convicted of this. of their error. And they began supporting ministries that actually helped lift people out of poverty. No fanfare. No look what I'm doing for the little guy. Just quiet, good, gospel ministry. There are countless stories like that. And most of us will never hear of them. But the truth is, Jesus is at work in the lives of all his saints to bring out his fruit, fruit that lasts and bring glory to God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. These stories prove it. 
These folks are living, breathing evidence of that. They needed to remain in Jesus so that Jesus could walk with them as a friend and correct them so that he might produce his fruit in their lives and God could be glorified. And the truth is, in one way or another, we all need that. We all need Jesus to walk alongside us, to bring the change in our lives, to see his fruit produced in our lives. And that's our second point today. Abiding in Jesus, remaining his friend, means that sometimes there's going to be some pruning. Some of the most fun I had this summer was pruning bushes. Admittedly, it was not a very full summer. We had some parts of our backyard that were overgrown, other bushes that were sick and dying, and I just started hacking away, and I loved it. I had a great time. (laughs) And as any gardener will tell you, I do not consider myself one, but as any gardener will tell you, pruning is necessary. Right? Because when I started cutting back these dying plants and the ones that were so overgrown that they were choking out all the other plants, what happened? Well, things started growing again, didn't they? I even learned that the way you cut the branch will affect how it grows again. That if the branch has leaves that are parallel with each other, you're supposed to cut that a certain way than if they're not parallel with each other. I had no idea. Some of you are looking at me like, well, of course. I'm not a gardener. (laughs) A good gardener knows where and how to prune so that what seems to inflict harm on the plant actually brings greater life. I wonder if maybe there's some application here to our spiritual lives. Well, verse 2, Jesus says this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. See, we understand the necessity of pruning when it comes to plants. But when it comes to our lives, well, a little bit more hesitancy there, isn't there? But the Lord makes it clear, pruning in our spiritual life is a necessity, even if we're producing fruit. I'm a big sports fan. I love sports. Almost every sport. I'll watch it. One of the greatest tragedies in sports is looking at the once great superstar who hangs on too long. Who can't let go. And they keep playing. Michael Jordan in a Washington Wizards uniform. It is almost sinful for me to look at. The greatest basketball player of all time. Hanging on too long. Playing against guys who are just beating the stuffing out of him. Who in his prime they had no business being anywhere near him. But he hung on too long. And the truth is, we can do the exact same thing in our lives. And in our spiritual lives. We've all run into that person who's been heading up a ministry for decades. And they've done amazing work, but now it's grown stale. It's not what it used to be. 
Maybe we've been that person. Or even in our devotional lives, right? We've been cracking open the same devotional for 30, 40 years, and it's been great, but it's not quite speaking the same way it used to. Well, sometimes that's the Lord telling us we need to let go. Even though it's something that has been fruitful and awesome, it needs to be pruned away from us so that greater fruit can be produced in ourselves as the Lord transitions us to something else. And in the case of ministries, it's often the case that the ministry itself will flourish as new people are able to come in with the fruit that the Lord is producing in them to produce even greater fruit out of that ministry. That's how pruning works. And we get this in theory, but we don't want to let go. Nobody wants to let go. I don't want to let go of the ministry I built because I know someone's going to come in after me and they're not going to have a clue what they're doing and they're going to mess the whole thing up. And so I'm going to hold on. But then I become like that overgrown plant as I struggle to hold on and take more and do more and be more and I end up choking out what could be a flourishing garden. We tend to struggle with this because we forget that God's not like me, walking around in my backyard, hacking and slashing whatever I can because it's fun. Our Father isn't up in heaven cackling away as he hacks off the branches that you love. Our Father abides in us and we in him. He is our friend. And a friend can say to us, I need to take this away from you for everyone's benefit. Maybe it is that volunteer position that you're just not suited for anymore. Maybe it's actually something seemingly unrelated. Maybe maybe it's something that's actually never produced fruit. It's actually preventing you from producing any fruit at all. Maybe it's that Netflix account that you're obsessed with. Maybe it's the smartphone that's been in your hand for so long, your hand is permanently shaped around it. You can't let go. I used to have a Twitter account. Wow, it was affecting how I viewed people. It was not producing fruit ever. Not even a little bit needed to be taken away. And I'm better for it. I didn't want to shut it down, Man, am I happy I did. I think there's a helpful check for us here. Every so often to stop and say, Lord, where am I not producing fruit in my life? What needs to be cut back? What needs to be pruned? What needs to be removed? Give me your perspective so that I can see how you want to change me to produce more of your fruit in me to your glory. So we've all got something that needs pruning or something that's stopped producing fruit or something that never has. We all have it. As we walk with Jesus as friend, he helps us to see the necessity of his pruning work and that he knows just what needs to be pruned and exactly how to apply the cut so the fruit will grow like crazy. Being a friend of Jesus, it means abiding And it means pruning. It also means knowing. 
And by this, I mean, if we are a friend of Jesus, then we know the Father, and specifically we know the heart of the Father. When Jesus told his disciples they were his friends, he put a bit more meat on it for them, thankfully. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is telling his friends that they are his friends because he has revealed God to them. He has made the Father's heart known to them. We can often approach the faith, the idea of God, and certainly the Bible, as if it's some unsolvable puzzle or a safe that's impossible to crack into. And since it's impossible, why bother? Now, it's 100% true that we will never plumb the depths of who God is. We will never stop learning and growing and, and increasing in intimacy with our Father. But at the most basic level, we do know God because God has made himself known. It's one of the core tenets of the Anglican tradition, that all that is necessary for salvation, all that we must know and believe about Jesus is made plain in the Bible. And it really is as simple as this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Right there, Jesus is revealing the gospel, that he himself is the gospel. That while we were locked in our circle of choosing sin over God, God came for us in the person of his son to show us that greater love that he has for us by dying for us on the cross and rising again on the third day. All so that any and all who cry out to him as Savior and submit to him as Lord can walk with him as friend for all eternity. We're invited into that perfect love friendship that the Father has with the Son and the Holy Spirit. That has been revealed to us. And if we are a friend of Jesus, that is what we know of our Father. That, that at his heart, he loves us and he calls us to abide in his love. Walking in that knowledge as God's friend, we can ask him, what does it look like for me to show your glory today? What does it look like for me to reveal the heart and the love that you have for me to the world today, to those that I encounter today. And when I overcomplicate things to the point where I can't see you as friend anymore, forgive me, correct me, prune away my stuff so that your fruit can be produced in me. Having Jesus as our friend, abiding in him, being pruned by him, knowing his heart for us in the world, produces joy. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. We forget that, don't we? That Jesus wants joy for us. The joy that he shares with his father that fills his heart as he looks upon the glory of God. Christianity is not about a long slog through the muck till you die. 
It is meant to be a life of unbridled joy, the joy of knowing the Father and walking with Christ as our friend. And here's the truth we so often forget. When the Father looks upon you, cloaked in the radiance and righteousness of his Son, Jesus, covered and redeemed by Jesus, there is absolute joy. When Jesus looks upon you who are in him, who love him, and have been united to him, he has joy. He's not looking for ways to play gotcha. He loves you. Yes, in our sin, we have grieved him. But when we are in Christ Jesus, when we have been baptized into his life and death and profess him as Lord and Savior and walk with him as friend, he looks upon us and he is filled with joy. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, has joy who looks upon us, on all of us, that he has made new. You are not the burden that he bears or the child he needs to put up with. You are one that he came to live and die for so that the Father's glory could be known in you, in his joy, and our joy could be full. You are no longer servants, he says. You are my friends. He says that to a room full of failures and sinners. And to the cross he went for them. So that they could know his joy. Don't let your sins keep you from him. Confess them. Don't choose the branches that are fruitless over the life-giving vine of Jesus Christ. There is joy in heaven over every sinner who repents. And we are that sinner, friends. And Jesus looks upon us with joy as we love him and he loves us. Receive the grace that Jesus offers as a free gift. Not just for today, but all our days. And know the joy that he has for you, his friend. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you call us friend. Would you help us to know what that means more and more each day? Would you, would you plant that truth so deeply in us that it never becomes obscured? That we would know that at your heart is joy and love for us. We pray, Father, when we stop seeing you clearly, you would take away those things that are clouding our eyes and you would give us your perspective to be reminded again that we are your friend, that you love us, you died for us, and you are at the right hand of the Father interceding for us even now as your friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.